0: Team and same again. Crank up the music, charge
2: your glass, this nation is going to dance all night. Small matters of, Jamie Redknapp sucking your hands off, should we start pronouncing it Goldmuth, celebrating the phrase basement boys, the global ramifications of a Beneliga and a worryingly detailed look at how the 2018 World Cup would have gone if there had been a global thermonuclear nuclear war. Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of 3 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of the subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash clichés pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash clichés pod. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 61 of the Football Clichés pod. I'm Adam Hurry and with me for an extended agenda for the adjudication panel is, first of all, Charlie Eccleshire. Welcome back once again. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Adam? Fantastic. Thank you. With you as well, Nick Miller, drafted in to help us wade through these dilemmas. Welcome
1: back. I like, yeah, I like to think it, uh, for this bumper edition of the adjudication panel, I've been drafted in because of my natural gravitas Authority. you know my opinion just carries so much weight
2: yeah exactly yeah, yeah you
1: know the ropes when it comes to the clichés pod you know you know
2: the sort of thing we're going for here so mm. yeah um so and once we've waded through all of that we also have the first edition of the new clichés quiz format out of control later on which is huge amount of fun but let's get stuck in straight away um, this is charlie this is a weekly preoccupation for the football clichés pod perhaps i'll miss it when fans return this is once again perhaps the the ultimate the final swearing apology this was daniel mann on sky sports for blackburn versus brentford rovers fan matt alerted me to this and i think this may be the most withering one we've heard so far
1: (laughs) tony it's again he gets his body in between defender and ball ever so well well if you heard a naughty word there we're very sorry
2: It's not a fault, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the pause uh, when a new, a new something was coming. The longer a pause goes on, you know something, a sign off is coming. Um, they are they are losing their the will to live with these, aren't they?
3: Yeah, that was re- that was beautifully petulant. I, I remember, I think it was even before um, Behind closed doors football. One of the commentators said something like, "Look." we know that it might sound a bit silly, but we are obliged yeah. to apologise, which seemed to completely undermine what, the so message. he preempted but it all? He, no, he said, like, um, I think he did the apology, mm. but then was like, and for those of you asking, we are obliged to say that. Like, you know, just like, I'm, I'm with you on
2: this. <laughs> it's,
3: I think it's as stupid as you do, but we have to do it.
1: Have you reached the point where they're, they're just going to say at the start of a game, look, we just apologise in advance for mm. all rude enough. words?
2: Yeah, That should easily be enough. I'm yeah. sure that would satisfy Ofcom. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel annoyed that I have to mention Ofcom every single time because it's just to show that we are aware of what's going on. But yeah, I feel like a blanket apology at the start. A bit like sort of Martin Tyler's And It's Live would, would do the job. Good it idea. could even
1: replace and it's live. Get him to deliver the and um, deliver the deliver the apology in the same style as and it's live. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> exactly. and I'm, I'm sorry to say it is live. Uh, yeah. If you haven't noticed yeah. that it's live, apologies for that. Yeah, it's out of our control, but it is indeed live.
3: Um, while while I, I don't, on the topic of commentators, I just wanted to, uh, looping back to the episode we did a few weeks ago on COCOMs we were talking uh, about. Foreign pronunciations, and I mentioned Jonathan Pierce and his Luis garcia He did a great one on Match of the Day on the weekend uh, for Benjamin Mendy. He doubled up because he he francophoned, if that's the word, both the Benjamin and the Mendy. He did a Bunjamin, <laughs> and then I'm pretty sure he did a Mundy, and a Mundy, just as if like well, it can't be an e sound, but I'll try the other vowels. So he did a kind of Benjamin Mundy. And then I think of Benjamin Mondy a bit after. I, was, Benjamin I thought it was Mondi. brilliant. And, yeah, and I don't know. You know, fair play. It, he may have you know researched this assiduously to mm. discover that it should be Benjamin and Mondy or Mondy. But um, yeah, I thought it was a, a, a really nice addition to that particular canon.
2: I mean, maybe maybe French is a kind of very special case here, Nick, because um, there are so many layers to Frenchness that you can add to it. I mean, you could go full full French and maybe i go go Benjamin Mondi. <laughs> Um, so I don't think even Pierce has, has gone far enough. No, Ben Mendy is fine. I'll, I'll stick with that. Um, on Sunday, Charlie, um, I was exposed to at least two instances of someone describing the North London Tarby as a small matter. And it got me thinking, and, and amazingly, I don't think we've discussed this at length on this podcast before. We've, we've mentioned it in passing. And it made me think, what are the small matters in football? There, there are some sort of key tenets of this, and I'm fairly sure the North London Derby is one of them. Can you think of any others? I mean, I guess that it's got it, it's meant
3: to be kind of knowingly mm. underselling, isn't it? Yeah. You know that it, you know, I, I guess it's a, a relation of the a certain so and so or oh whatever happened to him <laughs> that kind of uh, that genre. Mm. Small matters, yeah. I mean. But for, I kind of think I'm trying to think of a specific other occasion. I think of it more as like, well, you know, they play this game, but first the small matter of a trip to so and so. I imagine, and I don't, I have no evidence of this, that on when United were treble chasing, the when they were going for the second of that treble, the FA Cup final against Newcastle, that might have been said. You know, well, they're in Barcelona. Uh, next week, yeah. but first the small matter of an FA Cup.
2: Final. This, it, this. I think this is it. There's, a, there's, a, there's a subtlety to it, isn't there, Nick? It, it isn't just, it isn't just playful understatement. It's about sort of. Don't forget this little um, thing they've got to do first. Yeah, but I, I, also don't, I don't, I think it's more of a semi-final thing than a final. I, on the off the top of my head,
1: confused. I think it's, it's. There seems to be. I think there needs to be a slight sliding scale of small matters. Yeah. So. A, a, a small matter for you know Liverpool might be a a final or a semi-final, but a small matter for West Brom could be a trip to Tottenham. So you know <laughs> the, the, they um, mm. they bring up West Brom's upcoming fixtures and it's like you know it's it's West Ham, um, then it's you know a League Cup replay against Barnsley, and then the small matter of a trip to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Mm. Mm.
2: Yes. Yeah, and I think you might be right. Maybe it is a relative term. I think I've claimed I really hate it on a previous episode of this, but I actually I've beg- I've started to love playful understatement. I think it's fun, and commentators can carry on doing it with my approval. But I'm glad we've glad we've narrowed down small matters. I think El Clasico is another small matter. Champions League semi-finals they can be small matters, um, but yeah, you don't you don't want to overuse a small matter. But I'm, but yeah, Northern London derby I think is the perfect small matter. So anyone who used that on Sunday, well done. Um, elsewhere last weekend, everyone's smiling in anticipation of this. I don't know if I'm disappointed that it didn't happen or that the fact that just the mere concept of it um, is enough to, to make this worthwhile. Anyway, at halftime of Manchester United versus West Ham, I received um, uh, an urgent tweet from Sam Tennant, <laughs> who said that Jamie Redknapp has just said Moyes would suck your hands off for a point of Old travel <laughs> (laughs) Um, It absolutely destroyed me. I I couldn't find out the truth quicker. I literally couldn't have investigated this more expediently than I did. Um, But um, before we get to the truth of this, Nick, um, if we could just analyse the the, the supposed alleged phrase... it couldn't be more of a corruption of the original cliche, and still be within the realms of possibility. But suck your hands off! It's just <laughs>
1: absurd. You you kind of think, mm, all right. What what else was playing on your mind when you were it, it, when you were saying this? But it also, I don't know. Is it if it was um, you know if it was an intentional thing to say? Is it to sort of denote someone being even more desperate to? Yeah. To kind of take it, I, it yeah. so not mm. only would he, you know, he's not—he's not, he's not going to use his teeth. That would be—that'd be, that'd be too much. He's going to suck your hand off. He's going to suck it right off. Both of them, both hands.
3: I guess as well. Yeah, cause it's like such a degrading thing, but you're—that's how much you want that point at Old Trafford. You're like, I will do any. I'll suck your hands off. but I will do anything you want for that for that point at Old Trafford. Can I say as well? I really enjoyed uh, the kind of the journalistic equivalent, like standing up a story of Adam putting on <laughs> uh, WhatsApp group. Like, you know, you gotta, you gotta get this clip for me. I've gotta hear this and kind of seeing in real time that the dream kind of fade and died. But for that beautiful ten minutes until the footage emerged, that th- he might actually have said, "Sucking your hands off."
2: Yeah, um, I mean, disappointed um, is to put it mildly that that wasn't the case but let's hear the evidence let's hear what Jamie Redknapp actually said
0: hold oh,
1: on you're asking if it's a point at Old Trafford of course you'll your hands off that'd be incredible
2: oh he was so close Charlie it was so close to suck wasn't it <laughs> I think as well like
3: it, it is based on some evidence. You know, we talked on a previous episode of Jamie Redknapp previously calling Hulk the Hulk. Mm. Uh, you know, I think you know he's not a stranger <laughs> to this sort of thing, so it felt believable. I think that was why you know you, why you chased it up with so much excitement because yeah. it did feel like this this genuinely might have happened.
2: He, he, he crucially did pluralize the hands, and and then that still stands. He definitely used both hands. Um, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, the you know the slight mild corruption of of cliches that people just hugely take for granted is very much at the core of this episode so um, of this podcast rather so uh, yeah I mean I'm glad we got to the bottom of it but yes apologies to Jamie Randolph for ever doubting him Um, but just a wonderful wonderful maybe 15-20 minutes of my life on that, on that evening. Anyway, moving on. Um, not dissimilar territory here, Nick. Uh, listener Alexis X writes in. I don't know what the statute of limitations is on this one, but anyway, during one of Arsenal's um, Europa League games, the commentator, he thinks it's Ian Dark, spoke of a lack of goal mouth action, but he pronounced goal mouth like Bournemouth. I know it's a <laughs> while ago, but I felt it shouldn't pass unnoticed. <laughs> goal <Goldmouth. laughs> <laughs>
1: It's a designated uh, sort of uh, unitary area of uh, of, a, of a football pitch now. It's got its own postcodes. It's got its own kind of you know, MP or something like that. It is Golmouth.
2: I just, uh, the subtlest um, deviation of a pronunciation of word has never thrown me completely as, as much as this, Charlie. Golemouth, do you think it'd ever catch on?
3: I remember someone, I can't remember what it was once saying, frontman, um, <laughs> as if, you know, his name was like Gary Frontman. <laughs> which <laughs> similarly really tickled me and I hope there is a, a striker out there whose surname is Frontman
1: it's, it's in a um, sort of similar family to the, there was an episode of um, comedians in cars getting coffee where Jerry Seinfeld was absolutely fascinated with someone pronouncing it rye bread um, <laughs> and it's in this kind of similar family to that this kind of odd intonation that brings a sort of whole new life to the, to the phrase I mean, it's there's a, there's some logic
2: there. I mean, we use the word fairly often. Perhaps it should become a bit more efficient. Maybe Goldmouth is. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah. as you put it, it is a destination. It is an area of the pitch. I, I'm going to start pioneering it from now on. I'm going to pronounce Galmith. Galmith. It there wasn't like, Ian Dark. Sorry for implicating him in this scandal. But uh, if it was him, also kudos.
3: Could there be like greater Galmith as well? <laughs> that area sort of like that a the semicircle outside the area maybe
2: yeah that's that's a really that's a really nice yeah the D I don't I mean for some I mean the D yeah. is okay but to write the D is a completely different kettle of fish I just, mm. it, it can't be written down so maybe Greater Goldmouth is <laughs> that's it
3: we should petition petition the lawmakers to, to have that changed.
2: Yeah, Ellery will be up for that, I'm sure. He sounds like someone who probably would say Greater Goldmouth. Um Thank you to <laughs> Alexis X. That was um, that really was quite wonderful. On to more tedious technical matters. This has raised its, or reared its ugly head, I should say. I don't want to get that one wrong. Um, n- this week, Nick, uh, Ronaldo's hat trick against Cagliari on Sunday means he has now scored a total of 770 goals in his career, surpassing Pelé's unofficial total of 767 official goals. Um, there, there seems to be an incredible amount of confusion about what, what constitutes official and unofficial. Now, I know, this, I know this debate has raged on for seemingly decades, but why has football found it so difficult to nail this situation?
1: It's just counting, isn't it? Uh, it's yeah. just... How do you... The the thing that annoys me about this is... And this is a theme that I think we're going to come on to later in the podcast as well. It, it annoys... I annoy myself by getting annoyed by... It or or getting kind of involved with it because there's all there's all this thing about well you know Pele did the, 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 it's Pele's official goals but actually a lot of the friendlies he was playing as Santos were touring in the 1960s are quite house done it's not friendlies as you would think of them now I yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. that that keeps going round in my head and I just hate myself for even even not even saying any of this out loud but for even getting involved with the, any kind of debate in my head at all um, but yes it is just incredibly tedious. The spirit of that argument is 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 alive
2: and well. I, I completely get it. But you know, you you do have to draw the line somewhere. It doesn't matter how how hard the friendlies were, they were friendlies. Charlie, I, I sense that modern football, given you know how earnestly we categorise and document everything, is really struggling with this idea that nobody has has got the numbers here.
3: I know, you can feel like who scored, just being like what yeah. are you doing like you know if we were around at this time we'd be able to tell you like how many counter was Pele was involved in I also it must have been the zoom jumping but it sounded like Nick said
2: podcast there just before <laughs> well, um, you, which I again, was wondering whether again, it really should be who scored we I mean, should get yeah. our friends oh really wow well, yeah from, uh, data nerds who scored to actually clarify whether it's who scored or who scored?
3: <laughs> I also, I really enjoyed this, the Pelé's Instagram uh, message saying, congratulations on breaking my record of goals in official matches. Really keen to get that yes. in. I, you know, he, yes. he is not, he was not really just saying breaking my goal. He's, you know, with that quite important caveat, those three words do a lot of lifting in that sentence.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, both of them are very well versed, Nick, in kind of um, Champions League weekly style dip, sort of diplomacy, if you like. Uh, I, I don't think either of them have, have said a sincere mm. sentence for the last 10 years. But um, Ronaldo's message um, on Instagram before that was, my everlasting and unconditional admiration for Mr. Edson Arendtos de Nesimento, square brackets, Pele, such as the respect I have for mid-20th <laughs> century football, what a weird thing to say, led me to take into account his 767 score, assuming his nine goals for Sao Paulo state team, as well as his single goal for the Brazilian military team, single goal there, which is really ramming it home, as official goal. <laughs> What a just a weird wooden exchange between two of the world's <laughs> greats of the beautiful game.
1: You, you can imagine. I just imagined that um, someone has kind of edited that. You know, so in the original version, it, it made some kind of passive-aggressive reference to you know. Oh, and, and I suppose he's including those goals he scored on escape to victory as well yeah, in yeah, his yeah, official yeah. title yeah. But you know, I you know all the you've seen all mine. Mine have all been televised. You can you can prove all this.
2: That's a good point. There's one thing that this exchange hasn't had is a really, really sarcastic um, reference to somewhere that Pelé may or may not have scored his goals. Um, but Charlie, from a data collection perspective, this, this perhaps concerns me a bit because football isn't, in the, in the grand scheme of things, a particularly hard game to statistically collate. There are goals and that's pretty much the crux of it. But I, I worry now about sports like cricket, which I don't follow hugely closely, but I from afar, I can tell are very complicated sports when it comes to data collection. They, they really care about all the different variables. So things like cricket averages and, and wickets mm. and economy and that sort of stuff. I reckon somewhere along the line since the 1830s or something, someone's got it wrong and everything is therefore wrong. That must They must screw with people's brains.
3: Oh, you mean it's just waiting for someone... If someone actually checked this stuff, it's like, wait a minute. Yeah. Someone forgot those five runs or... Exactly. Yeah. And then the whole system collapses. Yeah. Well, no one peeked behind that curtain. It would just cause too much disruption
2: it's the same with sort of baseball and basketball nick um you know i mean the americans do data so well when it comes to sport i feel like something we're catching up with quite well to bring it into the mainstream but i just think it's a a complete house of cards if it turns out someone didn't sink that three-pointer back in 1979 the whole thing's gone
1: to shit yeah it's like when you you kind of read old match reports and stuff and you, you have you see quotes from people that are if they were written in a you know contemporary media, you'd say, mm, did he really say that? Uh, and mm. it's a sort of similar thing with the uh, recording of, of statistics, I suppose. You think, were you uh, were you really watching that? Are you sure that he scored that goal in eighteen ninety eight or whatever? It yeah, was? yeah, makes you wonder. Makes
2: you wonder if it's all a lie. Um, speaking of prolific egotists, Charlie, <laughs> um, mm. <laughs> it emerges that Zlatan Zlatan Ibrahimovic is to return to the Swedish setup. I like saying "setup." I just wanted to use it for that alone. Ahead mm. uh, of Euro twenty twenty, on the running order here, I've simply written "twat." Go away. Um, mm. I mean, <laughs> I, I want to get my. It's not a rant. I, I want to get this opprobrium out the way first. He is. He's just a sort of walking Chuck Norris joke, but with five hundred and sixty three senior career goals
1: um, <laughs> in official matches.
2: Yes, yes, very much so. Yeah, he doesn't play friendlies quite clearly. Is it is it passe to not? like Ibrahimovic in any way? Like, just to find him utterly tedious?
3: Yeah, I, that's probably one step behind on the journey because there's probably been the backlash where everyone thought he was a dick. Yeah. Now I'd say there's probably, I don't know, is there now a slight revisionism of, mm. yes, he's a dick, but what a player. What oh, a fantastic clearly. player. You know, yeah. that sort of thing. So I don't know, may, yeah, maybe that's one step. But I certainly think the finding him immensely tedious um, I mean, that's a very mainstream mm. um, well-held view. Yeah, I just wonder if now the slightly more contrarian perspective is to, you know, to slightly go back on that and maybe say, but he does actually come out with some quite interesting stuff. Like, uh, I know he oh, So of we're shit. back he's into actually, kind of
2: fair play to Zlatan territory now, are we? Yeah,
3: I don't know. I just feel like that's the natural next step in the journey yeah. because he's been on this backlash now for quite a while. I mean, yeah, when was yeah. he last not tedious? No, you know, you're right. Maybe
2: I'm, I'm always conscious of having the next layer of a debate. Um, but nick I mean whilst I'm at peace with Zlatan's brand I mean if he wants if, if that's where he wants to do that's fine and his own wikipedia page details the fact that he talks about himself in the third person which is it's not a good thing to be known for but from a wider perspective does euro 2020 which is which is going to be a, a huge release for quite a lot of people especially if fans are allowed back and all that sort of stuff I mean and and bearing in mind it's a major tournament in its own right and that sort of stuff does it need him does it do we need him
1: but this is the whole thing it's just that he can't it's like he can't cope with not being the centre of fucking attention for one summer. He's just he's just thought, well, this is this is you know we've we've missed a year and this is going to be a huge huge tournament. And everyone's going to be you know gasping for this and everyone's going to be paying attention. So I need to insert myself into this. You know, Sweden team with a very a collection of very good, promising young players. So me, I must you know, and he'll he'll tweet something about being a lion or something, and re- refer to himself in the third person it's before rubbish, the tournament. It? he's it's, rubbish banter. Yeah, and again, just going back to the, the earlier on, I get annoyed at myself for being annoyed about him because. There have been, so, as you, you you talked about there, there have been so many kind of phases of backlash and something that you, you, by this point Zlatan should just kind of wash over you. Other than being sort of, um, you know, uh, uh, like impressed that he's still playing for a title chasing team at 39, you should just kind of be able to broadly avoid him and ignore him. Next up, uh, the news this week from Reuters that Stefan Licksteiner
2: the 108 cap Swiss international uh, is now interning as a watchmaker in Switzerland. Nick, um, he started an internship at Zurich for Maurice de Moriac. I'm sure Jonathan Pierce would do a better <laughs> job with that than I. Is this the, like, the Swiss
1: equivalent of like an English footballer going to run a pub? It just To me, it read like a kind of quite a clumsy front for something else. It would be like some, some hack pulp novelist or something like this uh, in Lickstander, of course. He, officially, he was m- making watches in Zurich, but unofficially. Mm. And But yeah, just so it's just two on the nose. No, right. Not equivalent, uh, a, a Swiss guy making a watch. It's not the equivalent of uh, an English player retiring to run a pub, I don't think. It's the equivalent of an English player retiring to make umbrellas or bowler hats or, <laughs> or, or you know. or or tea or something I don't know Mm. I
3: I thought there there are a few things on this that jumped out one I I love the fact he's doing an internship so he's you know he's not getting any special treatment despite the fact that he's a you know former footballer Uh, there's an obvious joke about you know given how slow he was certainly when he was at Arsenal uh, you know I'm, I'm sure he's having to deal with a lot of that kind of banter um, and finally, I really like whenever players do something like this, they'll make a, there's like an obligatory comparison with football. So it's like, you know, being a, and he said, you know, being a watchmaker is actually not so different to being an international footballer. And he says something like, just like how in football, if, not all parts of the team don't function, the team won't work. He says something like, if all the parts of the watch don't work, then none of the watch will work. I just, and I, I feel there's always that, you know, when when you are talking to someone being in a pub, he's like, well yes, you know, obviously it seems a far cry from playing in front of 50,000 fans, yeah, but far the cried. pressure of, you
1: know. <laughs> <He> definitely, <laughs> definitely said far cry. Definitely.
2: No, no. Two, point, two points on that. It's it's a little bit like when a sort of footballer goes on a reality TV show and they're aware that maybe a lot of the people watching don't know that he was a footballer so they have to make this awful segue between his football career and then what he's going to be doing now but yeah i mean the point he makes about like a football team not working if all the things aren't aren't sort of working perfectly that's bullshit yeah um a player can drag you through on his own that's complete bollocks Lick diner you completely misunderstood football i don't know how you got 108 caps um but i i um but i i do also like that um as nick said that he is you know um Going in at the bottom and uh, and sort of plying his trade, or did Charlie say that? Charlie said that, yeah. didn't
3: he? Also, Adam, just on that, I, I really that um, if it was a footballer on like Celebrity Love Island as well, I love that the language they'd use to describe football would be in such broad terms. So it'd be like, well, he yes. was he was used to dribbling as a footballer or something like that. You know, something <laughs> oh, so God. vague, it's like that. Like you'd never ever talk about this player as <laughs> like a kind of
2: famously Steiner couldn't use his hands <laughs> <Yeah>. at right back, <laughs> yeah. but, <he>, but ironically. <laughs> Now we'll be using both in his new role. Um, Good luck to him. Uh, I hear he's making a watch for charity as well. Aren't they always? Um, So, yeah, all the best to him. Um, Footballers who do actually run pubs. It's not a complete dying art. Uh, Former Newcastle fullback uh, Nick Olivier Bernard runs the Mason's Arms in Blythe. Mm. I didn't know that.
1: That's Mm.
2: excellent. So it's good to see that that art alive and well. On to more... Well, what ostensibly looks at exciting matters but actually quite mundane Um, the story this week Charlie that the Real Madrid website was hacked which sounds very dramatic but it turns out the hackers if there were indeed any um, simply hacked in to produce an injury update for Rodrigo saying that he pulled a hamstring uh, which strikes me as the most mundane possible hacking of a football club website.
3: Yeah, I thought this was absolutely amazing. I mean, I wondered if they. Do you think they? Was that always the plan, or did they get in and they sort of panicked and they were like kids in a sweet? They're like,
2: just yeah, keep yeah it I, like I a, yeah, know yeah. Just
3: start small. Start with an, you know, is. I mean, did they? Or, or maybe they did think like this is going to absolutely blow the world's mind.
1: Like, <laughs> yeah. The it's first, the, first, the first possibility kind of like someone breaking into the Louvre and panicking and just stealing a pencil from the gift <laughs> shop or something. <laughs>
2: um, what I also liked about this, Nick, was, um, I mean, once the story emerged that it was, you know, not a real update and Rodrigo was um, perfectly well, there was a kind of sort of the inevitable sneering among the football media that um, it The outlets that weren't duped by this news, so so they pointed out that um, several media outlets were duped by the news. Well, yeah, that's fine. I think it's fine to be duped by that.
1: A couple of things here. I I wondered whether um, whether firstly, it might be some kind of just some kind of weird flex, like these people were saying. Well, you know, we can do this, and this is we're only going to do this for now. But uh, yeah, or they've got some dirt on the website admin. And this is, this is kind of shot across the bowels kind of thing.
2: Oh, okay. So, you're like, what, yeah, nice little Rodrigo injury update you've got exactly. there. It would be shame yeah. to uh, publicly release it when it's not actually <laughs> true. Yeah. Um, the,
1: the, the, the other thing is, it, this is, I, I mean, I don't even pay much attention to uh, fantasy football hugely, but just the way everything's infected my brain, that this yeah. is... I thought this might have been some kind of ruse by someone to, you know, uh, affect their mate's fantasy football team. Like they're, they're second, and their mate's got Rodrigo in the team or something. So I thought, I know, I'll, I'll publish a, uh, uh, an article saying he's, he's injured his hamstring, so Johnny will drop him from his team, and I shall collect those delicious points.
2: That um, that begs the rather naive question on my part, which: Do they have fantasy football in Europe? You never hear about it. That's a really good question. Mm. I've never heard about it.
3: I reckon they have it, but it's not the sort of BMO, behemoth that it is uh, here. That's based on zero. A bit, knowledge. A bit like
2: pre-assists, are like a big thing in like in Italy. I mean, you probably get more points for goals in Italy because it's so hard to score. <laughs> oh, no. isn't it? So it's probably like double the points. God, you'd be lucky if you get ten in a season in Syria <laughs> these days.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside
2: to learn more. Anyway, moving on. A a lovely phrase fell upon my sight this week. Um, It's it's the sort of phrase, Nick, that really kind of I, I take for granted. And then the longer I stare at it, the more absurd it becomes. And that phrase was Basement Boys. Um, which, if you just analyse it in, in both isolation and if you strip it down to its individual parts, is it, it is just brilliantly stupid and weird. Um, but I, I, I spotted it in passing and I had to stop and marvel at it for a bit. And uh, it was, of course, in relation to um, to Sheffield United. I mean, do you think you've ever? Do you think you could ever say the words "basement boys" out loud?
1: No, 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 never. No, I mean. I mean uh, it, only ever, only ever written down, and you know, uh, then at a push, it feels like one of those. It feels like there needs to needs to be a sort of minimum number of weeks or games that a team has been bottom of the of the table for them to be referred to as the basement boys. Sheffield United this season, you know, obviously qualify perfectly, yep. but you know, if, if it's um, a team that has just got to the bottom and they're referred to as basement boys, then that's not that seems a bit much. I think it's too flippant. Good season for Premier
3: League basement boys because Sheffield United, West Brom and Fulham have all taken up pretty much permanent residency mm. uh, in the basement this season. So,
2: <laughs> so it was like sort of an allegory for the London housing crisis that you exactly. had to cram all three into one basement for uh, 1,500 quid a month. Um, but yeah, it's just, I feel like it's just too flippant a way to, um, to talk about a team who's bottom the table. I like marooned, I like rooted, I like cast adrift and all that mm. sort of stuff. But basement Boys I'm not keen and and Nick I looked into Basement Boys I wanted to find out the history of it when who do, who first used it you know what what's its kind of trajectory throughout history through google and that sort of stuff but um I, unfortunately my search was completely corrupted by the fact that um there was an American house music duo production duo called yeah. the Basement Boys of course whose hit single in 1988 was a reworking of love don't live here anymore which as anyone who's listened to magic fm in a taxi at 3am will know it appears once every single night and only <laughs> once. Um, lovely tune. Um, didn't really pass into um, the house music genre quite so well. But yeah, Basement Boys, um, they were a music duo. But I don't think, I don't think they were the inspiration for it.
3: Or I was going to say, did they name themselves because they were huge fans of whatever team had been sort of...
2: <laughs> they read lingering. so many tabloid stories of teams struggling at the bottom of the English top flight and just like yeah. that's it. This really works for us. On a, on the related note to Sheffield United being bottom of the table, um, listener coach Bill Lofts. Writes in and says, "Is Paul Heckingbottom the first Premier League manager whose name also describes the league position of his club?" <laughs> I suppose again you'd have to play around the emphasis. Paul Heckingbottom.
3: Yeah, unless you had someone with a surname like Middlemarch or something like that, mm. <coughs> or top top loader. We're, <laughs> top, we're top loader top ever. Top of the charts. I,
2: I don't Must know. Maybe singles, no, but I would say albums, yes. Yeah. Mm, possibly. Mm. Um, I don't know. Maybe there was a yeah I don't know sort of a ill-fated brief Portsmouth spell for a Frenchman called Longuish or something like that <laughs> um, in the real dark days but yeah um, but no I, I have to, I have to confirm that I have consulted the full list of Premier League all-time managers and none of their surnames relate even even remotely to a league position. so Paul Heckingbottom is coach Bill Loft's, the first Premier League manager whose name describes the league position of his club. Thank you for letting us know about that one. On to kind of europe wide. Matters, Nick. The concept has been raised, and I, I am told this is still far from fruition. But this is the the toughest talk yet of this happening, of the Beneliga.
1: It's Belgium's and Holland's leagues merging into one. I don't know. You can't, you can't call it a super league. I think I don't know. Can you? I think you must be able to call it a super league. No? Mm. Why can't you call it a super league? Oh, nice. just, I suppose the European Super League has got. Uh, will will have that yeah. one nailed. They probably already already patented the name. It just if, if this, this kind of thing. It felt like a. I don't know, you just feel sorry for them really because it must take a, a huge amount of I don't know, humility to kind of to admit by ourselves we're simply not good enough, we're going to have to <laughs> join with those guys next door who also kind of think they're simply not good enough but together we will be, I don't know, adequate or something
3: is, is their pitch,
1: um, and if not, it should be. It should be like it,
3: it's going to be Euro 2000 every day of the week. Yeah, because that would is. really suck me in. Like, yeah, overrated
2: Figo goals, um, <laughs> ill-conceived ways of deciding games in extra time. Yeah, that's what they're going to have. Um, what worries me about this, Charlie? I mean, I mean, the bigger picture it looks fairly solid. Broadcasting deals, that sort of stuff. Maybe a more competitive league. What about Luxembourg? They've left them out.
3: There, there are probably a few nations that are pretty gutted about this. But yeah, maybe Luxembourg yeah. aren't bringing enough to the table. Or well, maybe that is what would make it a Super League. Chuck Luxembourg in and suddenly yeah. we got a Super League on our hands. The Can panel- I just ju- jump back the at him as well? Team. I love your uh, anti-Figo agenda. I find it very entertaining. <laughs>
2: it's deflected. It's deflected off Tony Adams. <laughs> oh, off- is just continuing? Because me, me calling him sort of an unremarkable Yeah, and corporate
3: and episode. wooden. And any, any yeah. opportunity you get, you're always having a pop at Figo.
2: I, 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 I mean, it, I think it's a justifiable standpoint. I don't think anyone sort of lies awake at night and thinks, Louis Figo, what a bloody great player he was." <laughs> just, just don't remember him. He I leaves mean, you cold. Yeah, he does. I, I mean, do you know what he? He was kind of like um, thinking of the way he moved. He was basically like um, sort of a deluxe Robert Pires. Sort of, I, di- I didn't like the way he glid. Glid? That glid. is not <laughs> a word. I <I'll> definitely start <laughs> not that no, again. Go with it. Go, That's definitely be... there. Um, he was kind of, to me, he was kind of like a deluxe Robert Pires in the way he sort of, sort of glided around the pitch. Um, yeah, just not for me. I, I like someone a bit more dynamic. Maybe he was just too silky smooth for me. But that's the anti-Figo agenda laid to rest. Um, I was,
1: if, if I if I could uh, butt in on, on Figo, yes. I I always liked him because uh, while on holiday in the Canary Islands, circa nineteen ninety five, I was sold a Barcelona Figo shirt by an opportunistic uh, salesman. I'd would never heard of him. I wanted the Rob Prosinecki Barcelona shirt, but I was convinced that by a um, by this uh, stallholder that Figo would be the one to go. So when a few years later he turned out to be the most expensive player in the world, I was incredibly smug. So yeah. for that reason, I've always had a, a special place in my heart for for mm. Luis Figo.
2: Oh no, fair enough. I mean, if you if you've got that emotional roots, then that's yeah. fine. I just I don't have that. I, I have one deflected goal at Euro 2000. <laughs> I have a pig's head. I have a, a wild transfer fee and the just and just, the men a, yeah, just yeah, man, yeah. and just ten years of UEFA for corporate speak, which has really put me off. Sorry, Figo. Moving on. I mean, I mean, where do we stop here, Nick? I mean, if we if we're combining countries, why don't we get the old Soviet lot back together. Get the whole gang <laughs> back together because. If you know, if I can remind you, I know I'm sure you know when you were on holiday in uh, Turkmenistan back in 1986, you'll, you'll have fond memories of this. But um, I mean, setting aside, if we could, you know, all the uh, geopolitical uh, tensions here, the 1986 Soviet Top League, which on its own is an incredible name for, uh, I think it was also known as the Supreme League, which again, it's just a, just a wonderful way of naming your league. This was the. This was the kind of league table you would have been faced with. Kiev, Dynamo Kiev, Dinamo Moscow, Spartak Moscow, Zenit Leningrad, Dinamo Tbilisi, Shakhtar Donetsk, Kyra Al Mata, Zagoras Vilnius, Torpedo Moscow, Dinamo Minsk, Dnipro Dinipro Porchevsk, Metalist Kharkiv, Nevchi Baku, Ararat Yerevan. Chiona Moretz Odessa, and Torpedo Kutaisi; those last two were relegated, sadly. But that is an absurdly strong division.
1: Can you imagine? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, firstly, kudos for uh, for rattling through those names. Mm. That was, Had to. It that was incredibly impressive. But yeah, I mean, it it, it, it reads like the the who's, who's who. who of the, who's who of the <laughs> early rounds of the UEFA Cup. And the...
2: Sorry for pre who in you there, but I just so glad <laughs> you said it. <laughs>
3: With a little sprinkling of the risk board, some of these places seem to me very, uh, very risk. Also, like it's an obvious gag, but it is the most communist league table you'll ever see. I mean, there's 11 points separate, sorry, 12 points separate Kiev in top uh, and Kutassi in bottom.
2: Incredible. Do you know why? Because this was no straightforward league. Um, about, I think it was about 10 years before, to kind of clamp down on a bit of match fixing, um, the overlords came up with the idea that you could have a maximum of eight draws. And after that, you didn't get any more points for draws. So that's it. You, that's it. So stop that's... drawing was basically the... And, and it got, they they sort of got harsher with it. And it got to the point that in 1986, you could have a maximum of 10 draws. But after that, every draw, you got a point deducted. <laughs> unless wow. unless you were Dynamo Kiev.
1: <laughs> really. Hang on, what? what?
2: Yeah, bec- um, because Dynamo Kiev squad were made up the... Um, majority of the Soviet Union squad for the World Cup. So they were allowed to draw games because uh, just because of that absolutely sensational way of running your division. So if, if I really hope the Beneliga is basically run along these lines is the summary of the point I'm trying to make here.
3: This does sound like a sort of Agnelli um, masterclass for that new Super League. But surely then, so you'd be better off lose once you'd drawn that certain number of games, you'd, you'd actually be better off losing a game and getting zero points than drawing and getting a, a minus one point.
2: Absolutely no idea why teams would be deducted a point for drawing. Um absolutely sensational, yeah. They got rid of it in the end.
1: Watch all those games on TV, you'd only ever tune in for the last 10-15 minutes because they will be absolutely chaotic. Yes. yes. They get to get to set to 75 minutes and it's one all and everyone just goes mad.
2: Would wreak havoc with the language of football though, in like sort of a last minute equalizer sort of throwing away a point. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What yeah, do yeah. you do? Ah, uh, awful, awful. Yeah, really. I hope it does catch on at least in the Beneliga. They can be the uh, guinea pigs for this concept in the uh, 2020s. That inevitably, Charlie, led me onto a tweet from. Um, I mean, yeah. A- any talk of Cold War era Soviet Union led me directly onto a tweet from Gary Lineker yesterday. Not his usual. Um, subject matter but anyway he wrote why would you feel the need to increase the number of nuclear weapons especially now with the inevitable economic chaos caused by the pandemic if we ever have to launch even just one we'll all be fucked anyway absolutely fair point so as a standalone tweet yes absolutely can't argue with that um don't know why he don't know why he made it at that very very point but nonetheless and then who waded in but rodney marsh and here's what <laughs> he had to say it's all got very surreal at this point and this here's what rodney marsh said Great question. Well answered by a nuclear physicist named Moniz, who believed the threat is the highest level in 75 years and all civilized countries need it as
1: a deterrent. I mean, that seems like classic Marsh, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Very, very very slightly more educated than you think, but still delivered in the style of, you know, the kind of uh, ropey bloke down the pub um, that's just kind of always there.
3: Yeah, also, that mention of Marsh, this, this is a bit of a tangent, but. There was that brilliant thing you sent me last week that someone I think someone posted to you on Twitter of Rodney Marsh uh, and Kizzy ahead of the ninety nine uh, FA Cup final, um, and and Kesey sort of explaining to him do, in a really performative way doing a conversion <laughs> of Celsius to Fahrenheit. He's looking at the mercury, sort of going like, yeah, it times up by three, carry the one. Yeah, gosh, yeah, no, that is that is pretty hot. Just and really Rodney Marsh's chat, yeah. yeah, really odd, uh, quite granular sort of temperature chat. But Rodney Marsh is clearly quite impressed because at the end he's like. Wait, how do you do that,
2: Richard? Let's have a listen. We're just looking at the pitch, we've, we've mentioned the way it's cut. We wonder, Andy mentioned earlier uh, about the day, how it saps players. Will the heat be a factor today, Rod? It is, yeah. I've played here uh, at Wembley about a half dozen times, uh, twice in League Cup finals. The first one I played here, Richard, it was a very, very hot day. And after about uh, 60 minutes of the game, Everybody on the field was drained, you need a lot of water What is it? 37-ish, now 36, double that and add 30 don't Yeah look, crikey out there, it's very warm isn't it? let you do that Richard, what did you do? Well you double it and add 30 <laughs> and you'll end up with a, a, about what you want Fahrenheit oh. <laughs> So you've learned something today haven't you? Richard, there's What's absolutely
1: it? no excuses whatsoever today, that pitch is perfect a...
2: <laughs> Clive Allen just launching yeah. into standard football chat
3: But also Clive Allen does a really good thing, he just comes in with a temperature <laughs> <laughs> just after he's finished he's like temperature and then yeah links it gets them back on I also love how Keezy even with something as mundane as temperature he has to link back to something it's something Andy pointed out earlier like it <laughs> point out there. it's like I mean I don't think you need to be you know uh, that's something that only former players can understand
2: <laughs> I bet you any money in next week's Keezy's blog he'll write something like as I told you as I told you um, 21 years ago um, uh that's how Fahrenheit and Celsius are, are created. And, and uh, then the, the just a big, massive paragraph about Mike Riley and
0: PGMOL. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right.
2: the fate of this planet nick is is the tangent we're going down here because lineker expressing some grave concerns about what nuclear armament means for the future of the earth and it reminded me of a sensational dark corner of the internet it's like a wikipedia style construction of what the world will be like if indeed the cold war had resulted in global thermonuclear war back in 1983. And it's incredibly detailed, but there's a corner of it that's dedicated purely to the 2018 FIFA World Cup and what it would have been like 25 years after, um, you know, a nuclear war, essentially. And um, I'll, I'll give you some. I'll give you a couple of details first. It, it, it supposedly t- takes place in socialist Siberia from the 14th of June to the 15th of July 2018 after the country was awarded hosting rights on the 2nd of December 2010. This is the level of mundane detail they're dealing with here (laughs) after the country was awarded hosting rights as as if they haven't got anything else to worry about.
1: It is just a sort of sensational example of how Adam your brain works that Gary Lineker tweeting something about nuclear war immediately leads you onto this corner of football ephemera it's incredible
2: it's absolutely because it, it's the work that's gone into it it isn't just yeah. the sensational scenario of the, of the world you know of a nuclear winter it's just the little mundane details I mean Charlie just to set the scene they go into the 2018 World Cup on the back of the 2014 edition where Robbie Keane and I quote ran riot for the Celtic Alliance and Big John Parkin fired the Kingdom of Cleveland um, which, is the, which is the East Coast remnants of the UK to the last
1: 16 John Parkin Have, are all the footballers dead what's going on <laughs> big big John Parkin, though. Big yes. John. It's got the implication that all the other footballers are dead, but the biggest one survived. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love as well this, and, and it reminds me of the
3: Steve Bruce or Steve Barnes novels, where you've got some, obviously, it's kind of fictionalised in this in this one, sort of counterfactual, but then a lot of it is just as was. So you, mm. st- in spite of this nuclear war, you've still got Luka Modric and Ivan Rakitic, uh yeah. Playing, for, playing in midfield for Croatia. You've still got Yeri Mina and Falcao playing for Colombia. So a lot of the world seems just gone on blissfully unaffected, which is nice. Is it?
2: Is it maybe slightly problematic? Is this is this kind of, I don't know, is this the inference here that uh, people in Croatia and Colombia are probably battle-hardened or something and they can <laughs> oh, handle God. this sort of thing? I don't know. They bunkered down and said, yeah, we're going to we're gonna get through this. Um, some further mundane details of this. Of the 24 nations who have qualified for these post-apocalyptic finals, uh, they included the Commonwealth of Australia and New Zealand, who, of course, emerged fairly unscathed from all of this, how far-flung they are. Uh, the unified Korea, of course. Uh, the Alpine Confederation of Austria, Switzerland, and Liechtenstein. Um, hope Nick Steiner was still around for that. Uh, Monaco, <laughs> obviously. I don't know. I don't know how Monaco managed to survive all of this. And uh, and Prussia. So some further details from the how this competi- um, competition unfolded. Nick, uh, Lionel Messi, Luis Suarez uh, joined forces, of course under the banner of the United American Republic, who bowed out in the last 16 against Peru with Messi missing a penalty in the shootout, in this insane parallel universe. Maybe they were onto something. His penalty record is dubious, after all. <laughs> the,
1: the, the whole geopolitical landscape of most of the world has completely changed, but Leo Messi's slightly ropey penalty record remains, like the the, the cockroach after the after the bomb drops. Just absolutely sensational.
2: Just to round this off, the final... Uh,
1: the combined talents of Australia
2: and New Zealand, Charlie, overwhelmed Colombia 4-2 in the final in front of, and again, I quote, a near-capacity crowd <laughs> uh, in the Soviet Republic of Uguristan. Um, what a place. Uh, the small matter of the post-apocalyptic <laughs> 2018 World Cup, <laughs> Cup final in Uguristan. Whatever
3: um, happened to Siberia? Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> the, the, also, like, I'm really curious about why Prussia reformed, you know, what about the why that was deemed a good idea but also like look at the goal scorer list is absolutely amazing aguero gets one but not yep. it's not he's not for argentina because they've sort of reformed with well god that i'm amazed they are yeah, they, the they've united American Re- republic yeah. that's right yeah. so you've got like suarez and messi um cool. up front together
2: Imagine the, the shithousery of the uh, United <laughs> American Republic, if I could, if I dare to use the word. Um, Nick, they, they didn't stop here. Uh, you'll be amazed to know. I mean, uh, as detailed as all of this was, they they couldn't help but sort of bring to life all sorts of corners of society. But someone did also try to simulate a post-apocalyptic 2015 Rugby World Cup. Uh, you're fine, thanks. Don't worry about it. It's mm. fine. They got far as the group stages, and nobody's got any points or... or, or um, <laughs> Or tries yet, so they haven't finished it. It's still in work in progress, apparently. I reckon they've given up because it's shit. Dylan says Peter Walton would give his thoughts on the nuclear apocalypse. Good. Topical. David Marples, friend of everybody, says someone in the crowd shouting box them in when the opposition team have a throw-in near their own <laughs> corner flag would definitely survive a nuclear apocalypse. And uh, equally, David Hartrick who gives us the standard introduction set scene setting situation here. He says it's 2035. The world is a wasteland after the last war. The oceans still bubble red with death. The skies are now silent. The few humans left live a hunter gatherer existence. Banded into small tribes using bartering rather than currency. Phil Neville is the new Salford City manager. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. Um, Sam Richards says, uh, if Raynham Steel doesn't survive a nuclear apocalypse, I don't know what will. And finally, Andrew Bruce, football things that would survive a nuclear apocalypse applauding a defender that calmly heads the ball back to the goalkeeper yes yeah. quite right everybody but yeah that's enough nuclear talk isn't it's getting me down a bit <laughs> nick getting me down a bit charlie would you like to end on a bit of a light-hearted note yes. sure well in that case I've I got the quiz format for you introducing out of control cue music Yes indeed guests, yes indeed listeners, this is Out of Control, the successor to the Clichés quiz. The rules quite simply are that I'm going to play you an excerpt from an episode of Premier League years. All I need you to do is to tell me what season it is.
1: But oh, seems hello. a little
2: bit too easy, doesn't it? It seems a little bit too easy. So, the caveats are, you're not getting the pictures, you're just getting the sound. You're just getting Georgie Thompson and all the rest of it. And you only get one guess... So use it wisely. If you go too early, you may have screwed yourself over. So, aware as I am that Charlie is some sort of oracle here, let's play it anyway. First person to get the season right simply wins. We've got about 2 minutes 40. I hope we don't need it all. Here we go. London fans has got away from his man. ballpark figures in your head already i am sure. Thoughts, yeah but November's headlines Paul Burrell the former butler to Princess Diana acquitted on charges of theft I love how she said theft in football Team Bath became the first student side to reach the first round proper of the FA Cup for 122 years after defeating Horsham in a dramatic penalty shootout if you, if you knew the last team who did it then maybe you could do the maths so. I think I know this now I think I've got it. We're in Manchester, where there is no hiding place today. You're either blue or red. City or United, two great clubs divided by a common need to win.
3: I think I've got it. You seem
1: to get the feeling that City fans do really fancy today. I do think that there are 30-odd thousand winning blue today in this ground. I think I've got it. Yeah, yeah, I've got got it. it. 2000, 2001. This is the day for it. (sighs) 2002-2003 I was going to say
2: 2002-2003 is correct Nick Miller Charlie you were two years out
1: I know Don't
2: you know your Paul Burrell theft stories
1: just, uh, just to, to uh, give everyone a little peek behind the curtain before we started recording, I was reliably informed that Charlie was going to actually destroy me at the rest of this quiz <laughs> because of his savant-like uh, knowledge of Premier yeah. League years. So I am delighted. Oh just my god! Just goes to
2: show. This, this, this felt like a tortoise and hare situation, didn't <laughs> it? Charlie, sort of, sort of rolling around in his seat pointing out that he thinks he's got it he thinks he's got it but he's going to let it roll on a little bit longer maybe so the listeners can keep enjoying the clip maybe have a little bit of Andy Gray chat from the Manchester Derby the last at Main Road I believe But no, no, Nick bided his time. He knew that Team Bath had got to the FA Cup something or other round. He knew that Paul Burrell had been uh, acquitted of charges of theft. He may even have known that their group of uh, British plane spotters were briefly imprisoned in Greece (laughs) under espionage (laughs) charges. But he probably had that in his back pocket. But he knew, he knew it was 2002-03. Well done.
1: uh, Burrell Burrell was obviously the clincher there. Huge, huge Burrell fan.
3: What threw me, I started thinking, in, in 2001, they do the Manchester derby, they do this, like, uh, is it going to be blue or red? And then they do, like, a blue and red sort of swarming over the city yeah. in, this, in the very uh, early noughties way, and I just had that in my head. But Weird oh.
2: situation here where you've lost this quiz, but yet your workings are, have actually shown <laughs> you to be more impressive at the quiz. Um, bizarre situation, but nonetheless, you have lost. Uh, quite sensationally what an upset in the early days of Out of Control I think we'll definitely do this again I'm looking Mm. forward to it Nick the reigning champion thank you both thanks to Zlatan as well no hard feelings you're just a twat and uh, and thanks to everybody for listening and we'll see everybody next week cheers
1: The Athletic